1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center that we have, the books, and there's lots of free resources there for you as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's DR dot com, And listeners of The Art of Being Well, I have a brand new book. I'm so pumped about this. It's called Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. I'm talking about the bidirectional relationship between mental health and physical health and how we talk about this a lot in the podcast that mental health is not separate from physical health. Mental health is physical health. So I'm talking about gut and feelings the physiological, and the psychological. So we're talking the deep dive in the research around shame and stress, chronic stress, trauma, intergenerational trauma, these mental, emotional, spiritual facets, and how it impacts physical health, i.e. our nervous system, our gut-brain axis, inflammation levels, hormonal health, brain health. And conversely, I'm talking about how underlying gut problems and chronic infections and nutrient deficiencies physiological things impacts our mood, impacts things like anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue. I'm so pumped about this. Anyways, it's for pre-order right now. If you go to drwillcool.com, we're giving away free signed books from now until the book comes out. If you pre-order it, we're giving away other things as well. You can be a gut feelings insider. Yeah, yeah, check it out at drwillcool.com. And also, we're giving away signed books in one other way. If you head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the art of being well there. Tell us what you love about the show. And every month, no matter when you listen to this episode, we'll be randomly picking winners every month and reaching out to you. And I'll ask you, hey, what book do you want? Sign it and send it to you. And yeah, you could do it two different ways. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave your Instagram handle in your Apple Podcast review itself. Or you can message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole, and screenshot your Apple podcast review and just send it to me there. And every month, my team and I will be going through the Instagram messages and the Apple podcast reviews and randomly picking winners. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. Her name is Molly Chester. Molly Chester is a co-founder and farmer of Apricot Lane Farms. Is it apricot? Is it apricot? We settle the score today. This is, amazing place. Apricot Lane Farms is a 234-acre biodynamic regenerative farm in California, home of the feature film, The Biggest Little Farm. Have you seen this documentary? It's amazing. Molly began her culinary journey attending the Natural Gourmet Institute of Health and Culinary Arts in New York City. From there, she began private chefing in Los Angeles, with high-profile clients and quickly realized that the flavor and nutrient density of food is directly connected to the health of the soil. In 2011, Molly's food journey led her and her husband to start Apricot Lane Farms with the intention of producing the healthiest, most flavorful food possible. Her brand new cookbook is called The Apricot Lane Farms Cookbook, Recipes and Stories from the Biggest Little Farm We're going to talk all about the brand new book. We're going to talk about her journey. We're going to talk about regenerative farming, soil microbiome health, and food tips, recipe tips. You're going to love this conversation. Stay tuned because at the end, I'll also answer one of your burning health questions and ask me anything. All right. This is Molly Chester's Art of Being Well. Molly Chester, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun.
1: Yeah. So maybe we should tell everybody how we met or how, and, and the fact that we have this beautiful Pittsburgh connection too, which I, I love, but I'll let you tell the story.
0: Yeah. So I actually had heard of you, I think in social media world somewhere and started watching you. And I just had some additional work that I wanted to do on my own body. I had, I felt like I'd kind of done all the things, including starting an entire farm that I could do to kind of, do within my means and that I needed a little help from a functional medicine doctor who could do some blood work and look a little deeper. So I looked all around and I kept being drawn back to you because there was just something really grounded about what I was picking up in the read through social. And so I contacted and then... The first day I was still kind of nervous because you know, it's somehow a big decision, like which doctor you're going to use. In the first session of talking to you, I found that you were from Pittsburgh, where I'm from, and it felt very kismet, like it was meant to be.
1: I love it. Isn't it funny? Is it, I feel like my wife's from Los Angeles. I don't feel like it's the same vibe. Well, if you're from other cities, maybe there's cities like Pittsburgh that have the same sort of kinship. But I was in LA the other week for work. And I was w- at true food kitchen. I'm walking down and I was ta- telling the server that I said, okay, where are you from? We said, Pittsburgh, as we're passing this other server, he said, you're from Pittsburgh. And it's like this automatic bond of it like is. people from different that are living in different cities. What What do you think it is about Pittsburgh?
0: I, I really have found the exact same way. And I truly feel it deeply. It doesn't feel like something surface when it happens. And I think there's it's definitely a Midwestern thing when I go. My brother lives in Chicago, and it has great people in that way, too. There's mm-hmm. an openness. But other than that, I mean, I don't know. Was it the hardships Pittsburgh went through that formed a grit? Is it the sports? is yeah. it? The, I don't know what it is, but it feels yeah. good.
1: I agree with you. and it it is it's the gateway to the Midwest. We're like a weird, like purgatory of the united states we're like in the kind of the north northeast but we're like more to me ohio and west virginia than we are new york with philadelphia is basically an extension of new york city i could talk about pennsylvania for the whole conversation but i won't (laughs) Uh, so and i my team and i as we're going over the case reviews for the day with the patients and i obviously that we all know and love you and we're talking about you being on the podcast today And the big question at hand, probably the most pivotal question I'm going to ask you is, do you say apricot or apricot? And everybody wants to know what the proper proper way to say it is for you. And maybe it's subject to opinion, but.
0: That is so fun. People ask me this and I truly don't even have like a consciousness around what I say. But if I. Let me think. I'm just going to say it. The apricot lane. No, the apricot lane. I don't even know, but I think I actually say apricot more often.
1: Yeah. I think I do too. But I, to me, it's like the context of it, like Caribbean, Caribbean. And <laughs> you say Pirates context, of the Caribbean, yeah. but I would say I'm going to the Caribbean. Isn't that funny? Totally. Yeah, totally. I, I think I say apricot. I'm kind of ambidextrous with apricot and apricot. I think <laughs> I do both. But tell me about how the farm got started. Let's start there. And the amazing film, the, the biggest little farm. And I think of Pittsburgh that, there too. Maybe that's why. It's like the biggest little city uh, oh, totally. in, in some ways. And maybe that's why. But anyways, let's talk about the, the farm and the origins of that first.
0: Yes. So the farm started? Well, we, we've we been here 11 years. And I was before this life, I was a private chef. I came to private chefing more from uh, a connection I found within myself really at a very young age, actually. I started making these connections when I was like nine, that what you eat affects how you feel. And it developed further with me trying different things. I was Kind of an unhealthy vegetarian for a long time, lots of soy dogs and soy burgers. And I lost my health in my 20s and was incredibly tired and just went through a lot of things. And I turned to food. And in doing so, I also had moved to Baltimore with my husband and was a little lonely. I just didn't know people. And I started cooking and really just that combination of like, oh, wow. I can, we started a little garden. I can like grow something, bring it in and look at this flavor. And so I went to culinary school to the Natural Gourmet Institute of Health and Culinary Arts.
1: Which, by the way, I've taught there before. I did not know that's where you were trained. They're a great group of people, right? In Manhattan, right?
0: Totally. Yeah. They're down in Chelsea. And it was incredibly inspiring. It was the first time in my life where I found myself in a group of like minds where I thought, oh, this is what it can feel like. You can have Mm -hmm. all people that really are into the same things. And so I did that and then started private chefing. But through that process, I learned more and more about that I can do different things in the kitchen soaking, sprouting, fermenting to build nutrient density. But it's actually about the choices the farmer makes that Mm. then is whether I have nutrient dense food or not. So I started seeking out these farmers for my clients. We had moved to LA at this point and I was having trouble. We were having trouble finding really great eggs. So we always loved the lifestyle of farming and thought, what if we did this? What if we got 10 acres and started raising chickens? Well, we met our partners and it ended up being... On a much bigger scale, we're now at 243 acres and wow. just doing sheep's chicken, sheep, chickens, cows, pigs, ducks. We have orchards, we have gardens. And then the film was born from that, though we definitely did not intend to do a film when we started it. And then our dog was barking like crazy and we had to figure out a solution to that too. So it went along as a reason to leap.
1: I love it. Public Goods is the one stop shop for sustainable, high quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. I love public goods products. I use public goods cleaning products at the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center here. I use them at my house. What I love about them is that they are effective, clean ingredients, nothing toxic. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is really important. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives that are still common, sadly, on drug and grocery store shelves, they are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. We've worked out an awesome deal for our listeners: receive twenty percent off your first public goods order. I use everything from personal care and household products to coffee, toilet paper, shampoo, pet food, and so much more. Just go to publicgoods.com/willcole or use code willcole at checkout. That is P U B L I C G O O D S dot com forward slash will Cole to receive 20% off your first order. Want to hear something that's truly alarming? Since 2020, two out of three people report feeling extreme stress and it's affecting their sleep and affecting their overall health. These days, stress seems to hit us at every possible angle. Enter Just Calm. The Breakthrough New Stress and Mood Support Formula from Just Thrive. Yes, the same Just Thrive that produces one of my favorite probiotics. Don't miss the episode where I had Tina Anderson and Karan Krishan of Just Thrive talk about the amazing science-backed formulas that they have. It's the first retail available supplement to feature the proprietary psychobiotic strain known as BL1714. Psychobiotics are a new class of products that utilize beneficial bacteria to support your best mood, cognition, and emotional health. Remember, our gut is our second brain. 95% of serotonin, 50% of dopamine is made in the gut, stored in the gut. And BL1714 is the most heavily researched and scientifically verified strain available. With Just Calm, you'll have the power to take on the day feeling cool, collected, and in control. Paired with the Just Thrive probiotic, this is one superpower duo for proven gut, immune, and mood support to help you live your best life. If you're ready to up your game and feel your best, you can get 15% off this dynamic duo bundle or any of their other scientifically proven products when you go to JustThriveHealth.com and use code WILLCOLLE at checkout. That's JustThriveHealth.com. Use code WILLCOLLE at checkout to get 15% off this amazing duo. And did you expect the film to be as big as it was? Because it was a massive hit. I mean, I saw it on an airplane once, you know, I think it was a Delta flight and they were playing it. I mean, so it was a worldwide success. How did that come to be specifically? And were you surprised about the reception that it got?
0: You know, I had known because John had done films in the past and had been in documentary work. And I knew his ability to tell an emotional story And I also knew the kind of beauty of what we had gone through to see the earth change. So I had hoped and sort of thought that people might really find it interesting. But there has been a journey that you just... I don't think you can know until you live it, where Mm -hmm. every Saturday, we have a farm stand down here on the farm. And so people come and we do tours. And every single week, I hear oh, we took over 50 acres of my aunt's farm. Oh, we started farming 10 acres. And it is just a massive amount of people who seem to have found inspiration to connect with the natural world in their own way. Mm -hmm. And that maybe I didn't anticipate and I absolutely love. It's like such a worthy purpose to keep going and it
1: fuels us for sure. For sure. Is it difficult? Because the farm is in the Southern California area. Is it difficult having a farm there versus, I mean, somewhere else? I mean, it's not the first thing that people think of, but actually there's quite a bit of farming in Southern California, right? I mean, there's huge, huge areas, but just tell me about that. Like having a farm there versus in the Midwest or in the South somewhere.
0: Yes. It's, you know, Each place is different, but definitely growing food in the chaparral, which is like the desert, basically is something that's a unique challenge. But in California, you can literally grow everything, which is right. also almost like something you have to manage because just because you can grow everything doesn't mean that you should be growing everything. So you have to listen a little bit more deeply. It's mm-hmm. almost like in California, it's hard to feel the seasons as overtly, but once you start living here, you recognize, oh, this change has happened, this change, and you start to understand what the vibe actually is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so water is certainly something we talk a lot about here. And it's a reality. We're on a really great aquifer, which is like the veins of water in the earth that they pull out of it, or we pull out of and But you have to do that responsibly which is why we cover crop and do all the things to sequester as much water as we can back down into that aquifer. But yeah, so it's, right. and the winds in the winter are incredibly crazy and wildflower fires are something that, you know, it's our version of tornadoes and mm-hmm. things that other people deal with. But I still, what I do love is there's not really a lot of ticks.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's a plus. It is a plus. It is a plus. It's different types of ticks, too. Interestingly enough, right? Nowhere compared to the Northeast, I'll say that. But it's interesting that I talk to a lot of patients, and they don't realize that Lyme disease and tick-borne problems are in all 50 states. They're just in different percentages, right? And different types of ticks can carry different types of these co-infections. But you're right. You're way better than the Northeast, for sure, as far as the concentration of these ticks. So let's go farm to table, right? Let's start with the soil, and then I want to talk about some things in the kitchen. But soil health, people are disconnected. We are—we just buy our food. We get, we get it online. We go to the grocery store. We don't realize the origins of the foods that we eat. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of soil health and why we should care?
0: Yes. My journey to understanding soil health really came from starting to understand gut health and the body. Because essentially, it's the gut of the earth is that top 10 to 12 inches of soil. And the, the microbial population inside of that and the health and thriving vibrance of that is what feeds our trees and then actually produces food that has more natural nutrient density, which then serves our body. So that focus on soil is pretty much all day, every day, what we're doing of What are the nuances that help bring the kind of flywheel effect where it has its own strength to it to that soil? And there's so many different techniques that pull from traditional cultures to your own uh, deep connection to the land that you're working with to scientific studies that now we're able to use things like compost tea makers and different bricks meters and things to be able to understand what we're doing. But truly, that. you're farming soil more than you're really actually farming a crop. And from Mm -hmm. that, if you you talk to your farmer and you start to sense that they're coming from that approach, you can probably trust that you're going to be getting more like micronutrients in your food and honestly more flavor, which is what is really fun about what happens when you focus on soil.
1: I love that. And there's a quote that from your husband, I think that he said, whether you eat a cow or a carrot, it's only as nutritious as the soil that feeds it. And that's really powerful way of putting it, isn't it?
0: Totally. You don't actually, one thing that kind of like really further cemented in me once I started doing it is that you are growing food, like farming grass, is just as vital as Mm -hmm. farming your crop, your tree crops, because that is truly the feed for your animals that then you're consuming. And, you know, a healthy animal is the animal that then has lower inflammation. And Mm -hmm. we know inflammation being low in the body is everything. And we, of course, want to eat healthy animals in order to have healthy bodies for ourselves.
1: Yeah. So what are farms like yours and that your space within farming? How what are some specific techniques? You touched on them, but I'm assuming you're the minority within the farming industry. What percentage of people are actually doing what you all are doing?
0: You know, I wish I had that number offhand. What I'm encouraged to know is that, well, first of all, my husband does have a statistic he's used that it's something like, 70% 70% of the farms in the world are, it's like 25 acres or less, it's something wow. like that. There's actually a lot of small farms and small farms, it is perhaps more understandably a t- attainable way to approach some of these techniques that we use, although we are doing it on a larger scale and there's people doing it on much larger scales than us. And it is what I have seen is that the The amount of people interested in this way of farming and actually doing it just keeps increasing, which is very encouraging as well. But different things that we do one, it's really basic, but we try to actually listen to the land before we begin. Mm -hmm. So it's really a relationship and we try to notice what's already working there. What is the topography? What is it cold right there in that area? And then so that we're putting in a crop that naturally will have more immunity in you're you're almost in some ways as much as you're farming that soil gut you're farming the immune system of your things that you're growing and so if you're looking at that tree and saying how can I put that in the best place so it has the most strength to start with is one. And then we do use cover crops, right? You can start very easily by just doing, there's like sites like Peaceful Valley that sell cover crop mixes. That's a great place to start. And then we get really geeky about cover crops and kind of figuring out what each variety even needs with cover cropping because it is very, you know, trees are so individual and they really like to be appreciated and they like to be in environments that are not toxic. And so those are kind of things we we focus on of giving them that appreciation of what they want and need. And then we have we have a whole fertility center where we have a workshop where we dry different herbs to make different tinctures that we'll use to spray on different crops. We have a 40-foot worm bin and we farm what's called vermicompost, which is the worm castings. Because when uh, dirt kind of goes through the belly of the worm and becomes like a fertile vermicompost soil, the microbial population of going through that worm increases substantially. And we're just trying to like keep farming those microbes? How can we get more and more microbial population into the soil and the type of microbial population that we want? And then we have big vats of compost tea makers. Now on a small scale, you can have a bucket and some some manure and you can like make compost tea. So it's not, we're doing it on a little bit of a larger scale, but there's all sorts of different accessible ways. Some of the the most effective things that we do on the farm are actually the least expensive with with things like cover cropping, it's seed cost.
1: Wow. People age at different speeds and the date on your license may not represent your inner biological age at all. If you're looking for ways to extend your health span and slow down the aging process, the keys to health and longevity run in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to improve your metabolism, reduce your stress, improve your sleep, and optimize your health for the long haul. It was created by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise for your body, the right nutrition and foods to focus on for your body, your biochemistry, and the right supplements to take for your body. It's bioindividuality at its best. You all know as a functional medicine doctor, that's what I stand by. What I also love about this is what they call inner age 2.0. I recommend adding in inner age 2.0 to any plan for a definitive calculation of your true biological age, you can actually see how you're aging from the inside out. You're going to be shocked by the results. And what's really cool is you can implement the advice they give you to actually see those numbers improve, to actually see your health span improve, and your biological age actually decrease over time. For a limited time, get twenty percent off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Art of Being Well. That's insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well, or you can use code WILLCOLA at checkout. If you've been living with eczema, acne, or rosacea, you can relate to the frustration of trying dozens and dozens of products over the years without any long-term relief. With GladSkin, you can expect something very different. GladSkin is a new category of skin treatment that is made for people of all ages with eczema-prone, acne-prone, and rosacea-prone skin. But what actually causes the itchiness, redness, inflammation, and discomfort in the skin in the first place? It's a disruption of the bacterial environment that you all know. It's called the skin microbiome. GladSkin specifically works to target the imbalance in your skin's microbiome. But unlike other skincare brands and prescription medications, GladSkin uses something called Microbalance, a revolutionary protein that restores the balance of the good and bad bacteria that live on your skin so it can finally heal. It is so effective that 91% of users, both adults and children, who try their top-selling eczema cream reported significant improvement after just seven days. That's all. Glad Skin and Micro Balance is steroid-free, works without harsh ingredients, and is clinically proven to reduce eczema symptoms it's even gentle enough for babies. So if you've been frustrated with your treatment options, don't wait to try GladSkin. They are offering my listeners 15% off plus free shipping on your first order at gladskin.com slash That's gladskin.com slash Will for 15% off plus free shipping. gladskin.com slash Will Do you ever get and do more naturally-minded or generative farming, do you ever get pushback from the farming industry, like the larger monolithic industry, as disruptors, or is it well-accepted within the farming world?
0: So when we first began 11 years ago, we actually opened the farm and had a bunch of neighbors over because we wanted to talk to them and connect. And there was some resistance, to be honest. There was a lot of kind of like, no, thank you. But then over the years, when our avocados started really thriving, we started having a few farmers check in with us and ask us <laughs> what different things we were doing. And and our approach, I, I kind of my life approach is that I really don't profess to know what's right for everybody. I'm kind of following my path and figuring out what that looks like so that I can come alive as much as possible. And so we just keep trying to do that. And not, we aren't focused on what we think is necessarily what we wouldn't do. We just stay focused on what we would do. And because there's a lot of challenges that big monocrop farmers are facing right now, financial challenges, sustainability challenges in all sorts of ways that are very real. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the world from all angles and help for farmers that... because. Lots of farm. I mean, most all farmers have some sense of connection to the earth. That's what mm-hmm. they're doing every day. Right. But they, there are obstacles that are in between them being able to do what they're doing and maybe do it in a way that does have more sustainability for the earth into it. So what can we do over time to help them too? I'd love to see that happen.
1: Yeah. So you're restoring the microbial diversity of the soil microbiome. You're you're healing the soil microbiome, which in turn is intimately connected to our own gut microbiome and restoring that with nutrient density and microbes on our food. Can you talk first about just how that, what you're doing with restoring the soil and increasing the mineralization of the soil, how, how has that impacted impacting that? Cause I've seen amazing studies looking at the impact that that has on greenhouse gases and C- CO2 emissions. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So my, my understanding in that space is that a lot of what you hear about challenges of say, if you're choosing to eat meat come from those factory farm settings. Yeah. I always think about it. Like I always think with like an allergy test, if they're going to put an egg under my arm, I'm always like, now, what egg are you putting under my arm? Because there right. might be a very different, and it's sort of, that's what gets tricky about like scientific studies in yeah, general, right. because uh, it's it like, be. there's so many nuances to what that, that so is. So many
1: variables, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so that that kind of off or the gassing that is connected with the meat farming industry. Is is often coming from those factory farm settings. And what you learn whenever you're farming with your own land is the land tells you how much it can handle. Yeah. So we know that we can only raise the number of chickens that we raise healthfully. Because whenever we try to push that number, the chickens end up getting sick because we don't have the buffers of the antibiotics or different things that other more conventional farmers have. And so that Understanding comes to you because you are going to suffer unless you listen to what is going on. So mm-hmm. it it creates a boundary for you, and within that, you can start to see, oh, this is where I live in this plot of earth. This is kind of almost a, how my plate should look, mm-hmm. and that's going to change where you are in the world. And so that's that's kind of my firsthand understanding mm-hmm. of how. That that issue could potentially be addressed,
1: and I I have seen to, to piggyback on that. That's a good analogy here, piggy, piggybacking when you talk about farming. <laughs> if you need dad jokes, I'm your guy. So <laughs> so the I've seen when the when the animals are churning the soil and there's microbes in the soil, all of that churning and replenishing of the, of the actual the healing of the microbiome absorbs a lot of those carbon emissions. So oh, we are blaming. Oh yes, we are blaming. cows for something that's really a soil on, on health problem, that when you actually heal the soil with cows, you actually can really heal the climate crisis.
0: We actually have a, thankfully, our sister operation that our partner also is the investor for they are a team of scientists and they do things slightly different than us, but they are environmentalists just the same. And there's so much crossover and we're able to tap into their support to make sure the studies that we're doing with our land are scientifically sound. And we actually have a carbon meter right now that went in about nine months ago in block M, which is able to measure the amount of carbon sink that we have from the, the type of farming that we're doing. And that, you said that very well, cause that's truly, there's such a fundamental difference in the intention behind yeah. how the farming is done that it's really hard to compare apples to oranges.
1: Yeah. And now I guess the, the question is the scalability of it all. But I mean, you're proving right now that you can do it on large scale. You really can do these practices and it's probably not all or nothing either. If, if farmers didn't maybe do everything they could do, I mean, at least moving in the right direction can really make incremental changes, right?
0: Oh my gosh, completely. Like we have a, right now we have a global food chain and then we have this local food chain. And so the local food chain, there is so much low hanging fruit of what can be developed by feeding that which is in our region. It's when people say, can you, can you feed the world on this type of farming? Our response is always, we're, we're trying to actually feed our community. That's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. And the reality of that is that we have more than enough food to be able to feed a large swath of our community here. So the more inspired we get to create a patchwork quilt a lot across the mm-hmm. world of these local farms that can make choices the way that we're making them, then that's a very inspired and exciting place to be. In addition, we're able to then, there's lots of people doing work to figure out how to continue to scale this work as well. Like Alan Savory, as far as meat production, he is focused on huge swaths of land around the country to be able to figure out how to range land, graze these animals. And so it's, it's a really tricky argument when people start saying you can't feed the world because that has not been my experience of what I'm seeing. And I also question whether we have the ability to go the other way right. and survive. Right. So we may it may not be whether or not we can. It's that we need to be <sighs> pay attention and make changes. And from there, then how do we do that?
1: Perfectly said. It is mm-hmm. such a, a, like the height of hubris to even think that there is another option, right? The unsustainability yeah. of what we're up against. And I I'll oftentimes feel like when people say that the unsustainability or the scalability of regenerative farming. Oftentimes, I really feel like it's very effective talking points from certain industries where it's like very effective way of saying that to just squash it and just say, oh, it's not an option. But the reality is, I don't think we have another choice, really. So You know
0: that from working with bodies.
1: Yeah, well, the right you're right. The rise of autoimmune conditions, the rise of gut health problems, of, so the microbiome, the collective microbiome is crying out that we need to do something different to see something different. So I'm glad that we're having this conversation. So we went we went from farm. Now we're going to go to table, and exactly. you have a brand new cookbook out, and you're you're talking about all these practices and bringing it into our kitchen. So how did the book come about?
0: So this is I have it right here. It's the Apricot Lane Farm. Oh, and I said Apricot. There you go. So the
1: Apricot Lane Farm. Apricot, it is, It's settled. Yeah.
0: And so it says recipes and stories from the biggest little farm. And this actually, so like I was mentioning earlier. A lot of the catalyst for the farm was a means to the end of getting to cook with really great food in the kitchen. But then, once I started actually farming, I started to question: Am I ever going to make it back to actually doing something like a cookbook? Because this is definitely a full-time job. But thankfully, over the years, we have established this culinary team, which help helps us in numerous ways on the farm. We, our team, gathers together every Monday through Thursday and eats. It feeds our apprentice program. Our People that come to the farm, so that has been going on, and we've been cooking with this food that came from this land. And then about a year ago, I no, no, that's not true. About three years ago, right as the film was coming out, I got presented with this opportunity to actually do this, and I thought there is no way. There is how am I going to fit this into my life? But instead, I decided to do it with the team, like rather than trying to carry this weight all by myself, and so. This is a beautiful collaborative effort of our team here that shows highlights the recipes from uh, the very, very early days to what we're feeding today. It's built off of our availability lists, which are our lists that our customers get. And thankfully, because you can grow so many things in California, these are things that will be very familiar to people across the United States. But it's also... Approaches meat from the perspective that we have on the farm. So, for example, pastured chickens, they actually need different cooking attention than a regular conventional bird does. You want to treat that meat kind of like almost a tough shoulder meat or something. So, you cook more low and slow. And from there, you get the fall off the bone experience, but you also get the depth of flavor that a pastured bird has. And Mm. so, everything that's in here enables you to cook from land in ways that nurture the animal and plant health. Because that's what I really found through my style of cooking had this nutrient dense focus forever, and kind of an ancestral focus. But then once I started cooking with land, you realize that the land is actually it's, it goes beyond even um, Like where were the traditional cultures getting their information? They were getting it from mother nature and mm-hmm. they were the ones who didn't forget about that. And so there deserves to be an honoring of that remembrance. And then also the reality and the relationship to mother nature. And in that, it informs us as to, like I was saying about the animals, what to eat, how much to eat, what time of the year to eat it. And so that really strengthened my cooking and that's all reflected in here too. Wow.
1: Man, you got me just saying that. I mean, I think of all what's going on in the world today and how it's this genetic epigenetic mismatch. It's just this distance, this chasm between our world and our DNA. And just it is very much a spiritual experience, even you doing work that you're doing and allowing the modern person that is so divorced from where we came from to remember this is our heritage and we need to reconnect and decrease that mismatch the holidays are among us my friends and many of us are wanting to find good quality foods for ourselves and our family for this time and any time of the year really but especially this time and many people around this time of the year will also be buying turkeys, right? And as a functional medicine doctor, I would only recommend free-range turkeys without antibiotics or added hormones, and it can be hard to find. A place that I have recommended for years is ButcherBox. Check out ButcherBox online. ButcherBox takes the guesswork out of finding high-quality meat and seafood you can actually trust. They have 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, turkey, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. You can get just what you want delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping for the continental United States and no surprise fees. You can choose from a variety of different box plan options, from curated to customized, and change your plan whenever you want. You can enjoy a range of high quality cuts that are hard to come by at the grocery store at an amazing value. They have exclusive member deals. You can save big on your favorite cuts. They have recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. Some are even personalized. You can cook up mouthwatering meals. ButcherBox has been a game changer for my family and my patients' families. They've loved them for years. The main course for Thanksgiving dinner can sometimes be a main source of stress. Not anymore. ButcherBox is offering our listeners free turkey with their first order. Oh my gosh. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash Will and use code Will Cole to get one 10 to 14 pound turkey completely free in your first box. That's butcherbox.com slash Will Cole butcherbox.com slash Will Use code Will to claim this amazing deal. Do you see it as a spiritual practice, just cooking and connecting to the earth?
0: Oh my gosh, 100%. The process of cooking is truly spiritual and is about nourishment and connection to the person that you're feeding, whether that be yourself or someone else. And just the experience of. What I do on a daily basis, even from managing the team to cooking to farming, all of them, the only way that I really know how to do it well is to approach it as a spiritual practice. It's my greatest hope that each one of our team members that's here gets to thrive to their highest potential and that each of us through reconnecting with Mother Nature and eating the way that our bodies really can thrive is that we have the opportunity to do that. I want I've said since I before the farming even began. I said I want to live in a world where I can go to like a movie theater and get popcorn, and it's actually like popcorn that has <laughs> you know butter or olive oil or something right. on it. And so I'm almost like. I don't ever want to stop until we all can have that experience that we deserve.
1: <laughs> yes, right. Oh my gosh, do you? I, I know it's hard as a, an author to pick a favorite recipe, but do you have some favorites? Like, what are the ones that are like you're geeking out about right now?
0: So one of my very very favorites is—I wish I had tagged it in here—but it's a avocado ice cream because Yum. my husband has forever said make a good avocado ice cream. And I tried a bunch of different ways and I didn't really nail it. And then we really went heavy on the egg yolk and did this certain technique to it. And it is so creamy. It feels like it's coconut milk based. So my my husband can't do dairy. And it feels like you're eating a full dairy ice cream. So that one is like beyond. I'm very happy about that. We have a basic... um, chicken recipe that we serve up at the barn lunches all the time. And that is that kind of slow and low recipe that I was telling you about. It has like nice crispy skins and the meat just falls off the bone. That's an incredibly good one. There's a fun one in there that we took our pork chops and just did like a nice sear on them. But then Kayla, our head chef up there, she said to me, she was like, I want to do like a PB&J satay sauce with it. And I was kind of like, and she did it. And Bodie and John absolutely went ballistic for this. They loved it so much. And it turned into one of our best recipes too. So it's in there as
1: well. I love it. And you also, you, uh, let's go back to the, you mentioned cooking the pasture raised chicken differently. I'd never heard someone say that before. That's a, i I'm sure a lot of ears were ringing as you were saying that of, oh, wow. I, I was just treating it like any of the chicken maybe. So we need to cook it lower and slower. Is that what you're saying?
0: that's where you're going to get the real tenderness that you're looking for, because that's the key of oftentimes like a tougher cut of meat. You'll braise it in the oven for a long time. And then you get that kind of like fall off the pot roast vibe. And you can get that with chicken as well when you go, go lower and slower.
1: Got it. And how about grass fed beef, like regenerative farmed beef? If you cook that differently versus regular meat?
0: Yes, there are different, slightly different techniques that you can use for that. We actually have one recipe in here. It's a more more of a niche farmer recipe, but I thought to make sure it's in there because those those farmer friends that I have out there, I think will appreciate it. But and you can also use it with regular ground beef. But we the reality of a farm is that you eventually have a bull who's been with you for a long time and it might be that bull's time to to go on, and so then you have like a ton of bull meat in the the freezer, and it's just like what this is the farmer side of me, and yeah. so we played with that for a long time of like how to crisp that because it doesn't have the fat that you want, and how do you add more fat? And so we have this crispy bull meat taco recipe that is divine, and but you can also use just regular ground beef if you don't if you aren't a farmer and have lots of bull meat.
1: I love it, and you know as my brother-in-law who listens to the podcast shout out to Adam he's actually from Los Angeles originally my all my in-laws are from there they slowly all moved to western pennsylvania with me he wow. bought a farm it's a regenerative farm now and i had never been so close to farmers now that having them here and that's happened recently a bull was older he hurt his leg he couldn't it was very sad I and mean, then they loved this bull and he couldn't get up and they had to they used his meat and now hey look now they can use the recipe in your in your book.
0: Exactly. And that's how I mean it's it's the type of topics that we didn't steer away from in the biggest little farm which is really death because that's when you start to farm and work really closely with mother nature you realize that grief is an intimate part of that process and you if you don't have to make it's a it's really a shepherding that you're doing mm-hmm. with the earth the earth left to its own devices evolves much more slowly than what can happen whenever humans consciously or unconsciously, but hopefully consciously engage with it. And when you do that, you have to face these decisions of like, okay, if I want to, there's two ways to fertilize. I can use petroleum-based fertilizers, or I can use animal-based fertilizers. And if animals are going to come in and be a part of this system, then there's going to be times where the animals are outnumbering what the system can hold. Mm -hmm. And then that's where things like hunting would have come in the past. And so those realities you have to end up facing. But the way that I found it is that I choose to eat animals. I found that my body really thrives on having animal foods in the diet. But then as I honor that animal's life to as much as I can through the raising of that animal, and then as I consume that animal, I try to live my highest light and purpose, then I'm engaged in the cycle of life. And Mm -hmm. I find that that engagement in it is something that we actually can't escape whether we are eating meat or not eating meat, and that it's more about staying focused on having that high intention to whatever that choice is.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, wow, beautifully said. And I think too, I mean, as somebody you mentioned being a vegetarian for a long time, I was a vegetarian vegan for a long time too. And I think the evolution of your and I's health journey is as so many people that are listening right now, it's a personal decision. I'm not preaching to one way, but I think at a certain point for many of my patients even, we, the 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 truths that you've said throughout this conversation of reconnecting yourself with Mother Nature and realizing we are not separate from nature. it is we are part of it, and part of that spiritual journey is really realizing we are part of that cycle of life and just a simple observation of nature and you see the brutality, the beautiful brutality, but the cycle of of life and death. and we can be part of that that cycle totally hundred yeah. percent. So my friend, you know, the podcast, it's called the art of being well, this is Molly Chester's art of being well. So I'm going to throw out different things within, I want to pick your brain. Question number one, what's a healthy food that is the worst tasting healthy food that you still have because it's so freaking good for you, not because it tastes good.
0: Oh my gosh, that's a good, well, I have in my fridge right now that some people love them, but it's not maybe my favorite flavor, but salmon roe eggs and i will eat them with my eggs in the morning and i don't always love it but i know
1: that it's giving a lot of nutrient density how do you eat it i i've no, i know how good it is from a nutrient density i nev- i do not eat it but i want yeah. i want to do better so how, how do you have your role?
0: yeah it's like vital choice or someone like that sells them and I just make like a fried egg and then I literally just put a scoop on the side like with my sauerkraut and I'll just, and I often avocado with it as well. And then I'll just kind of like pile a little piece of egg with a little piece of avocado with a couple uh, fish eggs and eat it down. And I I actually got away from it for a long time. When I was pregnant, I both did. I This is probably taboo because it's probably raw and you shouldn't do it, but I would take raw liver and this is gross, but I would put <laughs> it in a Vitamix with a little kombucha because I found that would max the, mask the the yeah. flavor. And I would take it down like a shot. I ate these raw fish eggs and then I would eat sardines like a couple of times a week. And oh, that was like what hey. I was trying to give to Bodhi.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, look, no, it's, I know it's done within our space. I mean, the Weston A. Price people will get it. The ancestral health, the carnivore people will get it. The paleo world will get that for sure. Now I, oh. I've had some patients, they f- will freeze raw liver and, use it as chips, they'll chip it up and throw Ooh. ice chips and swallow it that way, like tiny microscopic ice chips. So that's, and it's frozen too and kind of kills a lot of the bacteria if there are any. But um, yeah, so next question, what is, if you had to, any vacation in the world, what is your dream vacation?
0: Ooh, that's really good. So a dream vacation, I think actually getting space and time to relax, the tra- it's uh, It's all about like the nuances, the travel going smoothly, <laughs> but then getting to go to really a place where I get to enjoy the food ecosystem of wherever it is that I'm going. So I might get to visit a couple farms from there and maybe they have an amazing like banana that I hadn't experienced before. And I get to eat that. And then I get to go to like local food, but they do it right with like grass fed meats and things like that. I get to experience that then maybe go and connect with nature, whether it be the beach or a good hike or whatever that. Love That's
1: it, probably- I love it. <laughs> if you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, regardless regardless of health benefits, even though it may be nutrient dense because of how you live your life, but just purely on taste alone, what would that food be?
0: This is such a simple thing, but Mirna, who helps us with like our life, she makes the most amazing pork and rice and it's just like a ground pork that she cooks down and it's caramelized with onions and everything. But our family eats Myrna's pork and rice a couple times a week. And <laughs> I would seriously choose that as my last meal. I love
1: that. Well, I need to have Myrna help me out. I want to try this out.
0: <laughs> that, that recipe, I'm going to get, I want to do a family cookbook someday and yeah. I'm going to put that one in there. It's I too it. good.
1: <laughs> what are two supplements that for you personally have been the bi- biggest influence, positive influence on your health?
0: I am really finding magnesium to be just such a key. And you have me actually taking magnesium in various forms. And it is, I'm seeing such an impact of that. I don't know what that is. You'd tell me, but it seems like taking it in the different ways probably helps you absorb it. Yeah. So that, and let me think, oh gosh, I'm stumped.
1: Well oh, hey, magnesium is just that good.
0: <laughs> we'll just we'll just stick with the various types of magnesium. Yeah. We'll, just, we'll just go with that. You
1: have a magnesium threonate, bisglycinate, oxide, yeah. I think. You have different kinds. Yeah. And you're right. There's different optimal uses for different kinds, different bioavailabilities, certain kinds. So there's synergistic benefit of different types of magnesium. So we'll Yes, yeah, and you actually
0: to. I do I've thought of a couple more. I would say I love you, put me on the oxy powder. Yes. And I think that is an amazing supplement to kind of like get you over the hump with your digestion so that then you can start working the nuances. Yeah, That one I really liked. And then I also love the, I think it's by pure radiance. They have that vitamin C, but it's like the
1: whole food space yes. vitamin
0: C. And mm-hmm. I find that I always have that around too.
1: Love it. Love it. So we, we keep talking about food and eating out, but what's your favorite restaurant in the world? And what do you order when you go there?
0: Mm, that's good. Well, I think right now I would say there's a. I like it also for the community aspect, and they are amazing. But there's one restaurant near us because we kind of live like not in like a food mecca around us. Yeah. But there is a place called Moody Rooster in Westlake. We love these people. It's the type where the husband is behind the the line every single day cooking, and the wife is the hostess every single day. And they serve farm-to-table food. They serve some of our food sometimes. And it's just so good. And I always get their chicken, actually, whenever I go. And they always have like some good kind of pureed soup. And so, yeah, I would say Moody Rooster in Westlake.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love it. Moody Rooster. We'll put the link in the show notes for good old Moody Rooster. Cool. (laughs) What's the weirdest wellness thing that you've done that you're willing to admit on a podcast right now?
0: Oh my gosh. I am like one of those people that have experimented <laughs> on everything, Let's hear it. but I definitely think my, I did the liver and gallbladder flush at some point for a while. I did a bunch of them. And one point I had like, not a very good experience with it and was like on the floor of the bathroom when my husband came in and uh, found me oh no! and he, yeah. And he was like, enough. <laughs> not the liver of gall butter but I think I still did a couple after that. But yeah, that was kind of—it's a unique journey. But I do recommend it. It—it it seemed to help me at the time.
1: I've never done it before, but I, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, I have not done it.
0: It's rather extreme. You have to drink like a at the end of the. I still like grapefruit juice is still a yeah. little tricky because yeah. you have to drink that mixed with like a lot Olive of oil. Oil, right? yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, it sounds horrible, but it sounds Yeah, it's horrible. pretty bad. <laughs> do you know, I'm curious personality-wise, do you know what enneagram you are or what type of enneagram or Myers-Briggs that you are?
0: I think that I'm INFJ. Yeah, I need for Myers-Briggs. Enneagram, I don't 100% know, but one work that I'm doing a lot with is there's this amazing guy named Bob Cooley and he does work with the body that he found through having to restore his body from a terrible accident that the best way to get a stretch is to actually resist while you're stretching, like animals do. Hmm. And then through this, he found these 16 types of 16 parts of the body that then, when you stretch all 16, you get this like full body stretch. And he started to connect the psychological aspects of each of these areas oh. and also found that each person fell into a dominant body area. So there's actually different types in his work and there's 16 and I am an appendix in that, which funny enough, once you start learning about it, there's so much reality that comes in from it because it's the center of plants. It's the center of change, which is like seasons. So there's so much that you're already living out what you find out about when you go.
1: Beautiful. What, is it a book? I need to check this out.
0: It's really good. It's called, so he's working on the one about the types right now and Bob, get to work
1: because we need, the world on, needs book. We'll, but, have, um, we'll have to have him on the podcast.
0: Yeah, he is truly an amazing human, but his current book that he has is called The Genius of Flexibility and it definitely has the stretches and the overall like mechanical side, very light glimpse into the the types, but you, the the vast, that can go into the types beyond that is what he's working on
1: love that love that and what's yeah. his name again bob
0: bob cooley
1: bob cooley all right bob yeah. get on the book bob there you go <laughs> what's your favorite way if you have a lull in energy for anybody that's maybe struggling with low energy do you have a pro tip for increasing energy levels
0: get enough sleep
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: whatever whenever you're Craving like sugar for energy or trying to pick up another cup of coffee, just like take a 20 minute nap because probably what you're needing is sleep more than you're needing any of that stuff. I lately have been using something called Sheila Jeet. Yes. I don't know if you've, yeah, an and I think it's like, yeah, is it like a humic or fulvic acid. Yes, it is. It's rich in in
1: fulvic acids. Yep.
0: Yeah. Which we use that a lot, you know, in the land in different ways. And so, but I find in the afternoon that I'll have a cup of that rather than have any other kind of tea. I'm not really a coffee person. That's been like a really nice little hack.
1: I I love it. Are you getting, do you get the Sheila Jeet as a resin or or a capsule? How are you taking it?
0: I get it as a resin. I'm actually drinking it right now, but I get it as a resin and then it usually comes with this yes. like, well, little hook yeah, on the side.
1: We had Chervine on the show and it's Symbiotica is the company that has, at least, I'm sure there's different brands out there, but Symbiotica is one of them and we had him on. He's such a wealth of information, mm, Yeah, So good.
0: But I, I like how I feel from it.
1: Yeah. I meant to ask you earlier about, you mentioned soaking and sprouting as a way to increase nutrition. Can you talk briefly about, about that?
0: Yeah, that's so basically, the different methods of like soaking and different fermentation is working to neutralize two things that are found within the seed plants, which are phytic acid, which is a chelator of minerals out of our body, and then enzyme inhibitors So when you go through that process for that extended fermentation, that's why people will say, oh, sourdough is a more healthful bread because it literally not only is breaking down gluten sometimes as well, but it is breaking down those defenses that the seed has for the natural environment. It doesn't like neutralize it. I'm sure you know some of this as well, but it doesn't neutralize it, but it definitely just keeps reducing it. And the point in the kitchen is like, where can I just kind of keep increasing that ability for my body to digest. And then sprouting, there is a lot. I I was in the, I enjoyed raw food world for a while whenever I first got into food and I interned at a place, Pure Food and Wine in New York City. And that's a lot about just like the activation of life that comes in that Mm -hmm. sprouting process and then the nutrition bump that you get from that.
1: Got it. Yeah. And the, where you were trained, the Natural, Natural Gourmet Institute, they're very big on a pl- br- lot of plant-based, a lot of raw things, right?
0: Yes. Yes, they are. Because that was, that was like, I was still, I think, a vegetarian as I started to go, maybe I, a little bit. Uh, no, I think I'm still a vegetarian. And they were based in macrobiotics actually mm-hmm. originally. And then they had expanded. So they did have a meat program that you would go through. But meat is like, I didn't learn the most about meat when I was in culinary mm-hmm. school. That was more like on the job, me having to figure that out. Yeah. But but yeah, so it was largely plant-based. But I love that I started plant-based because you get so creative with vegetables yeah. that then you have that as like a baseline
1: that in Uses your food. I agree with you. I think that when you are trained that way, it does, it's, it's, it, it it should be the foundation of most people's meals, you know, especially yeah. long, long-term for sure. And it's a great way to then use the meat as a, you know, almost a, a condiment or a side side to that. Mm-hmm. love that. I'm curious, do you ever go to Starbucks? And if you do, what is your Starbucks order?
0: That's a great question. I don't think I've been to Starbucks in a couple years. Oh, actually, that's not true. We went, when we, we just took this quick hop to Vegas to see the show we wanted to see. And I got a, um, we stopped there and they have like, it used to be called uh, passion fruit tea and I would always yeah. get it unsweetened. Mm-hmm. But now it's like slightly different name, but it's essentially that. And so Bodhi and I both got a large unsweetened passion fruit tea because it was hot. And that was <laughs> delicious. So when I go, that's what I get.
1: I love it. I pa- it's very refreshing. Yeah. I, I get the black tea, but i the, I get I give my daughter who doesn't like, like regular tea, she loves the passion okay. tea. And they actually have for the kids that like need a little bit of sweetness, you can get their stevia into sweetened stevia. It's not the best oh, stevia in the world, but it's better than the straight up sugar. That's great. Yeah, love it, my friend. I could talk to you forever. I guess before I go, I have to ask, what's your when you come back to Pittsburgh? What's your favorite thing to do here?
0: Oh my gosh, let's see. So I actually last time I went. Well, first of all, I love to see my family. Of we. Probably my very favorite is that my aunt still lives in Ford City, Pennsylvania, and they have land that was like a remembrance for me. Of, that was like where all my memories were as a kid of the smells of the cows and the cut grass and all of those things. We used to fish in this pond. I remember catching like 100 fish, which I'm sure there's only like 50 fish in the <laughs> pond. So, but So I love that. But then we also went to the Andy Warhol, Warhol Museum, love which it. was downtown, which yes. I love. Yes. And I love to go to a Pirates game. I love to go to a Penguins game. I mean, all that stuff is so I love
1: fun. it. In well, that
0: area, downtown with the rivers. So, so good. good.
1: So good. Yeah. Next time you're in town, let me know. We'll, we'll hang out.
0: Absolutely. All right. So yeah. with the, the book will be out October 25th. And I also just want to tell people one other thing. We have a beautiful lemonade that we have launched that is from the early days of the farm. I did a recipe that I was trying to figure out how to have it just be lemon and water emulsified together or lemon. I'm sorry, lemon and honey so that it would just be a honey based drink. And so we have recently launched that out into the world. And so it's shipping nationwide now, too. And so people can check out that.
1: Amazing. As well. Where can people get the book? Where can people get the lemonade? What? Where, where, where do we go?
0: So they can get both of those on Apricot Lane Farms right now. So go there and there's a link for the cookbook where they can do all the pre-orders now. And then it'll be out wherever books are sold on October 25th. And there's a shop on ApricotLaneFarms.com where they can also purchase the lemonade.
1: I love it. Love it, my friend. And where can people get get in touch with you or follow your, your work on social media?
0: So we're very active on Instagram and Facebook at this point. And I have like a personal Instagram, but the main one is Apricot Lane Farms. And we put a ton of effort into that because we, our storytelling is our means to of connection and offering the information that we have right now. And we use that as a storytelling medium. So definitely at Apricot Lane Farms and check that out on Instagram and. You'll find a lot of
1: good stuff. Are you on TikTok yet? You need to be on TikTok. Not
0: yet. I think we have the site and we have this wonderful addition to our team that has some TikTok knowledge. So we'll see. We might get there soon.
1: I'm miserable. So I'll learn from you then. I am not good at TikTok, but I'm
0: trying.
1: (laughs) Come back anytime. Thanks so much for, for talking with me.
0: Thank you so much for having me. You're just a blessing.
1: Thank you. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. By the way, my friends, before we get into the question, you can submit your questions a few different ways. You can message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. You can go to drwillcole.com and all the email links to my team and I are there. So you can email us questions. We put them on a Google Doc and I'll get to at least one question at the end of every regular episode. And then we have entire episodes devoted to your health questions. They're called the ask me anything episodes aptly named. So, yeah, go back and listen to past episodes if you want to learn more about different questions and hear me answer your questions. Um anyways, today's question is from Yosef. Yosef asks, "What is your favorite tea to drink and why?" Well, I think Yosef knows I freaking love tea. I talk about tea a lot in articles, I talk about tea in, on podcasts, when I'm get, a guest, on the people ask me a lot about tea. I don't know how, I, I guess I just share what I love. And I'm an avid tea aficionado, if you will, self-proclaimed. Um, and I've just about, I've had pretty much every tea out there. Um, so let's think, my favorite tea, probably my first answer, it's hard to pick. It's like picking your favorite child. It would probably be Earl Grey tea. It's my go-to most days. I love that blend of the black tea with the bergamot and sort of the the lavender taste in a way, um, depending on the brand that you get. Anyways, I really love that combination of flavors from Earl Grey. Um, And there are studies that show that bergamot, which is the citrus polyphenol essential oil that's added to Earl Grey tea, it comes from Calabria in Italy. And there's studies that show that bergamot, this polyphenol antioxidant essential oil, actually has been shown to increase and support autophagy pathways, which autophagy for people that are newer to this, if you break that word down, autophagy, it's, it's, autophagy is your cellular recycling. It's your self-eating in a way. It's your healthy cells gobbling up and recycling dysfunctional cells. So think of it as your natural anti-accelerated aging pathways, your body's way to bring about cellular renewal. Autophagy is always happening, but modern life tends to dampen and downregulate autophagy pathways. So tea, the different catechins in tea, polyphenols in tea, as well as added polyphenols like bergamot has been shown to be supportive of uh, of these cellular renewal pathways. So that's my own geeky science health nerd way of supporting even intermittent fasting intermittent fasting also supports autophagy pathways it upregulates and enhances autophagy and different longevity pathways if you will so i'll typically do cyclical flexible intuitive fasting as my book is titled it's what i do every day intuitive fasting with some earl gray tea i love green tea as well i love basically every type of green tea I'll be honest with you. I don't like the like fruity teas at all. Like to me, they're just, I'm a purist when it comes to teas. I don't want any fruity teas, especially like fruity with green or like different fruits with different teas, like black tea. No, not for me. No shame if you like that, but I want the green tea. I want it to be what it is. Um, nothing too fruity. I do not want sweet tea in the least. When restaurants and I ask for iced tea and they don't have unsweetened, it is like, it hurts my soul on a deep level. <laughs> because, like, why are you just offering sugar water with some tea in it? Uh, no, I don't get it. I also love, if you're looking for something caffeine free, I love rooibos or African redbush. I just love that sort of earthy taste. If you're looking for an adaptogenic tea, I love holy basil or Tulsi tea. If you're looking for something maybe with some vitamin C supportive of your immune system in that way, hibiscus tea is really great. If you're looking for something to be supportive of your gut health and your immune system from an antimicrobial standpoint, I love powder Arco tea. Um, Those are more, in my mind, Therapeutic, medicinal, herbal teas. Um, but the true teas come from the plant Camellia sinensis, which is the black teas, the green teas, the white teas, the oolong teas, the puer teas. That's the tea. All those teas that I just mentioned, they're actually the same plant, Camellia sinensis. It's just how it's grown, where it's grown, when it's picked, how it's prepared. That's what determines whether it's white, black, green. And then the puers and the oolongs and and other teas like that are just prepared differently. So if you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> um, but I've written a lot about this at drwillkohl.com. You can go to drwillkohl.com, just type in tea. There's articles upon articles, all the science nerd stuff you need to know about teas. My favorite tea company happens to be sponsors on the podcast, Peak Tea, um, but to be honest with you, I've drank P.T. since since their inception. Uh, Simon Cheng's been on the podcast, really one of the first guests because he's my friend and he is the tea. I mean, he the tea demigod. He knows so much about tea. I've learned so much about tea from Simon. So if you haven't listened to the episode with Simon Cheng from Peak, definitely check that out. So Yosef, I could talk about tea ad infinitum forever, but I will stop now. Thanks for the question.